Welcome to Max and Murphy. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. My broadcast partner, Jarrett Murphy of City Limits, is off this week. On this episode, I'm talking with the president of the United Federation of Teachers, Michael Mulgrew, about the process of reopening New York City schools, about the challenges, the opportunities looking right now and ahead to the possibility of fully reopening schools for in-person learning, or at least very close to it in September, concerns that he and the teachers union have, and also how they are approaching the final months of working with Mayor Bill de Blasio, the challenges they've had with the mayor, and how they are approaching the race to replace de Blasio, which is unfolding right now. And the UFT is in the final stages of making its endorsement in that race. The June Democratic primary is fast approaching. The winner of that primary is all but certain to take office as the next mayor of New York City come January of 2022. And the UFT is very much hoping to back the eventual winner. So we talked about what's happening with city schools right now and the politics around it, both with the current mayor and the field of Democrats hoping to replace de Blasio. Here's our discussion with UFT President Michael Mulgrew. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome back to Max and Murphy. Michael Mulgrew, the president of the United Federation of Teachers, the UFT. President Mulgrew, how are you doing today? All right, finding yourself. You doing Good all right, thing. man? Yeah, doing okay. Uh, hanging in there. So um, as we talk here uh, in the middle of April, uh, what's your assessment of where the school reopening and school safety discussion is at. We've had some recent changes in terms of when schools will be closed due to COVID cases. Um, it seems like you and your union sort of, um, you know, came along a little bit reluctantly to, to change some of those rules. How do you assess where we're at right now in terms of school reopenings and school safety for your members and others in school buildings? Well, first, I'm very proud that New York City has proven that uh, we have safest schools. Uh, and I want all parents to know that um, we work really hard to make sure that our schools have maintained a high level of safety uh, throughout the changes that we've had about COVID. As we've learned more and more about COVID, we've made the appropriate changes, but we've made them not for political reasons, but uh, for the medical reasons, but I mean, being guided by doctors, independent doctors. Recently, um, when we had the uh, school closures based off of two non-link cases, um, what we kept telling City Hall was we don't want to deal with non-linked cases because what a non-linked case means is that we don't know where the virus came from. Uh, that's literally what it was. And it became a political uh, piece that, uh, well, will we go to four or three non-linked cases? And our discussion was simple. Was we, we don't need to deal with non-linked cases anymore because we now have enough testing and contact tracing. We need to now look at what we do know what is going on inside of the school because the reason we did the non-link was if because we if we weren't sure we would shut the school down but now we have enough testing in place that we know what's going on inside of the school and we don't want a school spread to happen so let's switch to linked cases inside the building and once city hall agreed with us and their doctors agreed with our doctors it was pretty simple to get to an agreement. It was just uh, a little uh, frustrating. It took that long to switch the whole dynamic of non-link to link. Most people just look at the number two, four, but that's really what happened here. Uh-huh. And your members, where do things stand as you gauge them? Obviously, I know it can be challenging to do so, but how, how that's your job, of course. Now, how do you assess where they're at in terms of their, their, 
um, comfort level, especially as the vaccination is happening. But we're also seeing the rise of some variants and, and the cases are decreasing overall, but there's still a significant number of cases. How, how, what's the comfort level? How much pushback are you getting on some of these changes? Um, how, you know, how many teachers are willing to, um, you know, no longer go with the waiver that they had previously had to, to work remotely? Where, where are we at with that? Comfort level. Uh, oh, overall, at this point, I think that, that what we see amongst the membership is they know that we have kept to our word that we all agreed upon last year, which is safety first and independent, independent medical advice and guidance will guide us, not any political process. Uh, and we've had a lot of fights uh, sticking to those criteria with the, the current administration, but we've been able to do that. So I think overall, they're okay with where they see things going. Like last Friday, because of a judge in upstate New York, all of a sudden the state issued guidance to go from six feet to three feet and for elementary schools. But there's a process that needs to be uh, done before the schools can do that. And that membership, we sent that out immediately to the membership, what had happened in upstate in a, in a court, uh, in a courtroom. And very the response is just make sure everyone does everything correctly. And that's what we're getting from the members. My main concern, though, and our main concern overall is the number of children we're not getting back. That's a big problem. That's a real big problem. So we've, yeah, proven, yeah. we've proven that we can keep this school system safe. The changing of the criteria on how to close schools should help in terms of the number of schools that close on a weekly basis. But we're also keeping the safety because, as I said, we now can monitor inside of a building so so aggressively. We cannot continue as a school system with 65% of the kids still not coming in. So what I'm trying to say to all the parents, and I'm going to try to mount a campaign with a lot of people, but... I understand this health concerns at all time. I understand that the COVID positivity rate amongst children is going up. We've known this for weeks. We've spoken about it out in the open. We've been very clear. Uh, The variants, the doctors told us the variants were going to cause a problem uh, amongst children. And that's proven out to be true because the positivity rate inside of the schools, while low, has not diminished over the last six weeks where the positivity rate in the city has gone down. So when we look at that, it's clear the numbers are, you know, black and white. The numbers are as adults get less and less COVID, children are getting more. But still, like you said, very low numbers. It's point. It's weird. It stays at point six. Right. So So, for us, we got to get our parents to understand we want your kids back. We're going to keep them safe. But we we really I want nine hundred thousand kids back not 350,000 kids. So are you, I mean, are you saying that you and the teachers are ready for full school to be back? This, I mean, for September, what we're going to do is once again, we'll follow the science. If we're at three feet, we can uh, basically um, most, most of the children can come back. We're over 90% at that point. Uh, We could handle over 90%. Uh, we don't know how many children are still going to be virtual, but that would be the goal for September. Safety first at all times if we keep moving this way on the virus. But, you know, today there was a setback with the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. Uh, and plus, we're also dealing with this issue of children. When you say you're going to try to get people together to mount a campaign, you're talking about for September. 
to get everybody yeah. back for September. Because they just finished an opt-in period. Yeah. We're coming near the end of the school year. It's really about how do we help parents understand that this summer they have to make a decision and we want them to bring their, we want their children back in school. And isn't some of the limited number, or tell me what you think of the limited number of folks who opted their kids back in, isn't some of that have to do with the fact that we've got uh, some, you know, significant number of kids who would be going into school buildings, but still learning remotely on a device with adults in the room, that, that setup, isn't that problematic in terms of convincing parents to send the kids back? Well, if we, it, it depends on where we have, what I just, you know, the state has now um, said they're recognizing, but put in a process for each school district now to come up with a, a plan on how to get to three feet. If we're at three feet, we can basically handle more than 90% of the kids coming. Hmm. Uh, and that would be on an everyday basis, five days a week. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's, if we're hoping that that's the minimum we're at in September, hopefully the news gets better. Hopefully the vaccine continues to do its work and continues to squash this virus. And then we could be in a better place because then parents might be able to have the comfort of saying my child's going to school five days a week on a regular school day. But in terms of this opt-in period that just ended and the sort of question around how many kids are coming back now for some in-person learning the rest of this school year, wasn't wasn't there a significant barrier over the number of, of teachers available and teachers who are either all remote or in person? No, uh, it, we, we have the ability to handle more children uh, in person. What we've seen is, especially at the high school level, uh, elementary is a different animal. Uh, middle school is in the middle. Uh, obviously, it's middle school. <laughs> but what we were having at the high school level is a teacher might be teaching in person the first period. And then because so many children opted to stay home, the second period, the teacher would be teaching it uh, from their classroom virtually to kids at home. And then some of the children who were live, the first period might be learning in another classroom because it's a physics class or a, a smaller class where there's not as many teachers, someone on a medical accommodation, they'd be learning virtually inside of the school building. It's a very complex what has gone on to try to make sure that we're doing the best we can under the rules of COVID. It has not been easy. Mm -hmm. So we literally have teachers teaching from schools in person and virtually to kids at home. We have kids in schools learning live from a teacher at one moment. And then the next period, they might be learning virtually inside of a school building while the teacher is at home because of medical accommodations. Mm-hmm. So it's been very complex what has gone on here. I don't, and I don't want to go into it, but it's really been a testament to people just trying to figure this all out. Yeah. And in terms of um, the, the question you brought up, well, you, you mentioned the, this idea of trying to campaign to get everybody back in September. Yeah. Again, we're always assessing the safety and the, and the virus risk and the vaccination. But how concerned are you about enrollment in the school district? How, forget where, where they're learning. How concerned are you about a significant drop in enrollment in New York it's City real, schools going into It's January? a real concern. It's a concern, which is why we know we need to try to get our children back so we can assess that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as soon as we can get this, and, and that's the other reason why I want most of the, I want the children back. It, it's, as always, safety, right? Safety, which we take care of the safety piece. In order for us to really get our city rolling again, 
you know, we need our school system functioning. We need children going to a school on a daily basis. That's part of it. That allows more parents to go back to work, which allows the the day-to-day workings of the city to get back to more of a normal. We're never going to go back to pre-COVID. We understand that. We have to get back to a better place. And an integral part of that is a, a school system that is functioning and opening for children to come on a daily basis. So I think it's all interconnected. So that's why I think we really, and then we'll know, and when the city's running, then we'll have a better choice. That might bring more people back. I'm not sure. I don't think mm-hmm. anyone has this answer. Yeah. And and uh, and as you said, there might be a campaign needed for that, that front as well. Yeah. I, I, you know, I see out there, I see, you know, on social media and elsewhere, you've got uh, some group of teachers who are upset that schools are reopening, you know, they're, they're concerned they're, they're, they don't, they don't feel safe. They're worried about schools reopening more. Yep. And as you know, you've got a big population of parents saying, let's get these schools open for our kids. Uh, remote learning is terrible. Uh, my kids need the socialization and the teachers union is, is in the way you saw Andrew Yang express something like that. The most high profile person to say something like that. You obviously backed off of that statement. He he did. (laughs) He did some, um, but, but that's, you know, that's a fairly popular sentiment out there. And I heard, you know, and we're going to talk about the mayoral endorsement process. This is our, this is our bridge to that. But, but, um, you know, I heard your exchange at the forum you had, and you both kind of agreed that Mayor de Blasio has had bad leadership on this, but you didn't really sort of address, address his question about whether the, the union has, has had its foot at least sort of like halfway down on the brake. No, I, I did. Well, I did address it when he first said it. We mm-hmm. completely disagree with him. Mm-hmm. So you tell me a teacher union that had a plan last June, last June. Uh, this teachers union had a complete plan on how to open our schools for the first day in September. Uh, That's why I was upset with the mayor Mm -hmm. uh, because he didn't understand that we needed to do that uh, earlier than he was comfortable with doing it when he was ready, uh, which was quite um, frustrating to us and also made us angry. Uh, I'll just be clear with everyone on that because we knew that once we were at the end of July and now he had decided to fully engage that there was no way we could open on time because he didn't understand the complexities of what we were dealing with. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's how we got open. And there was no, we were the only large school system in the United States to be open in September. So I completely disagree with him. And if it wasn't for our work, well, I don't think we would have gotten open. And in terms of the pace of reopening, once things started to go, do you feel like you've been there as a as a ready as a ready partner, ready to go as quickly as it's safe to go? As as quickly as it's safe to go, as long as the other side understands, you know, this has been the problem with this. The, the, I think in when history is written, they will talk about the problem, the failure of this pandemic was politics. That. So many people, and I can go. You, I don't need to go into how every level of government made this a political issue rather than a public uh, safety issue, and, and that really is the frustrating uh, piece to all of this. And it's shame on everybody. What's De Blasio's Mayor De Blasio though? Weren't his politics that he wanted things to to reopen? I mean, was no. At first, he never wanted the schools to close. Right. Okay. There was the whole herd immunity stuff and all the rest of that, uh, which was a huge mistake. Um, 
and we had to fight to close them. And then he kept saying he wanted the schools open, but he didn't put together a plan. And opening up the largest school system in the United States without a plan and saying everything is safe doesn't work. So then we literally had to train. We trained over 3,000 teacher volunteers to cover every school in New York City to so that every school could put everything in place. Because sending a memo uh, in an email to a principal about how to open a school safely isn't going to do it. You have to train people on signage, on ventilation, on what to look for and all of that stuff. So and that's less, what it took. He's less politics and more management, I guess that sounds like. More it's a combination of the two. Mm-hmm. And then he wanted to open because he wanted to be the open school system. We're like, yeah, well, thank you for now getting involved. But, you know, you're a little late to the party and now you want to micromanage the whole process which isn't going to work. So now we have to train all these people. I'm really proud of what the teachers book. You know, when you have 3000 people volunteering at nights and weekends to be trained on how to walk into a building and set it up to be COVID safe in the middle of a pandemic has never been done before. You know, we got to hand it to the the teachers in New York City and they didn't care and they didn't trust the Blasio at that point. Uh, They probably still don't many of them, but they understood that that's what it was going to take to get their school system open. And they wanted they were fearful. They have anxiety. They were angry about what happened and to shut what they had to do to shut it down. But they did the job. All right. Speaking of politics, where do we stand in this endorsement process the UFT is undergoing? You had this final four forum that many of us tuned into. Um, Well, first, big takeaways from that forum. How'd you feel afterward? What do you feel like you got from those four finalists that you brought together there? It was more about having just specific questions and policy things put out there so that the majority, that our membership that's been engaged in this mayoral process really could hear it. Uh, we had members asking questions, but there was a lot of our political activists. And we have thousands of volunteers who really wanted things. That's why you heard those lightning rounds. Yes or no? Real simple. Mayoral controls, things of those nature. Where do you stand on uh, school funding? Different things like that. We really just wanted those things out of the way so the membership could then do what they needed to do in terms of letting us know uh, what their comfort zone is. But it, it, it's more than policy. You know that. Um it comes down to the viability, how much money they have, what is the campaign strategy. Um, I'm happy that people are finally waking up that this mayor's race <laughs> is a lot more important than the last couple, uh, because this next this mayor is basically going to set the course for the city for the next probably decade or two, because coming out of COVID with all that money, real smart decisions need to be made. And it's not just about the school system, but the school system is clearly one of the most important parts of that. What are the most important things to you and, you know, and your members in the next mayor as you have, you know, been studying these, these candidates, they have their strengths and weaknesses. You say you've narrowed it down to your, your four there, but what are the most important couple of things uh, for you as you try to select who you're going to back in this primary? Well, there's education policy that's, you know, first and foremost, we are a teacher's union. Uh, So education policy is near and dear to our heart. Uh, That was, that's the number one. And then it's really about you, how do you want to treat your workforce and the vision for the city itself? Um, You know, we're sick and tired of speaking about the same things. Um, Every man, you know, we've been sounding the alarm on homelessness now for 14 years. 
14 years we've been sounding the alarm on homelessness and all they do is just count it differently. Nobody mm-hmm. solves it. Nobody, they just move the chairs around. Nobody's solving this issue. Nobody tackles it. Um, affordable housing, you know, how, you know, cr- you know, we have crime going up. Those are big issues. Uh, and they affect their schools just as much as the policy inside of the schools. So these are the things we want people to talk about, um, you know, they're all going to say, you know, if I ask any elected official, anyone running for mayor, do you believe in smaller class sizes? They're going to tell me yes. Right. They always do. So number one issue with parents, class size. Which mayor solved it? Mm-hmm. None. Right. So these mm-hmm. are the type of issues that that's what we're drilling down on. For the first time, there's a real opportunity here between the stimulus money and the fact that the state finally, after 17 years, have uh, funded the CFE lawsuit. There's a real possibility here setting up long-term plans for the schools, as well as long-term plans to deal with homelessness, to deal with all sorts of different issues of economic disparity. And those are the things we want to hear about from these candidates. So what's their viability? How much money do they have? Where's their educational policy? And really, ranked choice voting is turning out to be... uh, (laughs) I don't think any candidate is comfortable with it because nobody knows what it really means. Right. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a big new wrinkle amid all these other changes. Um, is, is, is small, is a vision for smaller class sizes. Is that the number one education item on your list or you're just using that as an example? Are are there other things? That's really, uh, we think because of what has happened with all of the funding, uh, we now have an opportunity. We're not just going to magically get to smaller class sizes. There has to be a plan where you start in certain school districts and start to move it inside of each school district. And then once you see how to do it, you can then set up a plan for a different school district. It's much harder to do in a district that's very crowded versus a district that is okay on, you know, it's basically got a good population, but it's not overcrowded. So you have to start coming up with plans for these things. You know, in terms of the membership, I'm happy that this is the most engaged we've ever had a membership in a mayor's race. Um, you know, the virtual world is pretty cool. Uh, Uh, It allows for many more people to be involved than, um, you know, know, just on the four town halls, we had over four initial ones, not the fifth one. We had over 12,000 people, you know, tune in to see what was going on. And, um, you know, we've had just a lot, we've had close to 1.4 million views uh, just on our new website and talking about the different candidates, putting up the clips and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. So that's been fun. That's been the fun part. Uh, class sizes. What else? What are a couple other on the educate under that first, of course, top banner education policy. What are a couple other most important things as you're evaluating these candidates? Uh, uh, do they have a- in the classroom and that goes across everything. We had started that work uh, in our last contract. We had agreed to a plan known as the Bronx plan, which really wasn't just about the Bronx. It was the Bronx was symbolic of schools that never had the true equity it was supposed to have. Uh, and we were moving towards that. COVID put us the brakes on on that because I don't care what anyone says. Even in New York City, the great progressive capital, I could walk into certain neighborhoods, and the school looked a much different and looked much different than when I walked into other neighborhoods. And that's just a fact. And we said this has to stop. So just that equity issue is a big deal with us. Um, Desegregation is a big issue for us. Uh, and then there's a lot of stuff just on. We, we, we are 
I think we are done as a union with waiting for the Department of Education to understand, to undo the damage that Michael Bloomberg did. Uh, the Department of Education bureaucracy does not believe they are responsible for the supporting schools. And that's been going on for 20 years now. That was a distinct management philosophy that was put there under Michael Bloomberg. The bureaucracy actually has grown dramatically since then. And they still they believe they just think their job is to hold schools accountable, but not to do the work to support them. Uh-huh. So. And it's so now gonna, close to uh, $6 billion supporting a bureaucracy that doesn't support the schools. Mm-hmm. So we're done with that. Mm-hmm. We want and, a distinct change. And you and you also want to hear, uh, it seems like you want a mayoral candidate who wants to keep the charter school cap in place. Yeah, absolutely. Until there's transparency, until there's even a, dis- every time the charter industry, and, and let me be clear, there's only, it's the large chains we have a problem with. Uh, every time they talk about lifting the cap, all we ever say is complete transparency about your student enrollment and how you're treating your students. And they're like, oh, no, leave the cap. We don't want that. I got a problem. If you're taking taxpayer money and you're dealing with children, I got a problem when you have a problem with transparency. Mm-hmm. And um, and and you mentioned desegregation of the city schools is a big priority. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not surprised to hear that, but I'm, I'm a little surprised it was sort of in the, your top issues there. Ooh. Are you I mean, because when you were talking about reducing class sizes and, you know, one of the things that came to my mind was the idea of redrawing some district lines, you know, figuring mm-hmm. out uh, how to use the space that exists in some of the schools that are less crowded than the overcrowded schools. Obviously, there's there's massive problems across the city with crowding in different places, but some yep. places less so. Where, do you have a desegregation uh, couple the, of bullets that are your bullets on that? On well, that? well the, the, the thing is that it really takes a great deal of education. So we had a we had desegregation plans um, that um, the de Blasio administration, after its first um, term, they actually adopted desegregation plans that were designed by schools and by teachers and their communities mm-hmm. that were trying to do them under a program called PROS inside of our, which is inside of our contract, which they would not um, they would not authorize because when you design something inside of PROS, it could be anything. Uh, you have to have both the union's agreement and the city's agreement, and the city would not agree to it. The great big myth about oh the desegregation no it. Until their second term, this oh, mayor yeah. council wouldn't go near them. Yeah. So our thing is, we don't believe in forced busing. That's been tried. It doesn't work. So really, how do you start to have real conversations with parents about desegregation? And does that mean drawing lines in a different way? Does that mean, especially in middle schools and high schools, high schools in New York City are not inside the zones. Right. So it, it's so really about policies. Mm-hmm. And are you... And are you um, are you in favor of, of some of these calls to re, so, to do away with or, or drastically reduce the screens? Yeah, I think to my, yes, I, uh, screens, the screens and some of my members get upset when I say this, but the screen process was supposed to be about specific programs and a student's uh, aptitude or ability, not as a way of you getting the students that you wanted in terms of oh, I only want the highest performing students. So, and then screens at certain points in time were being given to schools for political reasons. Uh, Superintendents had a great deal of power at one point, so they would decide which school got screens instead of actually doing it on the merits of, 
there's a specialty program here. Say it's a um, a, a um, computer uh, Cisco uh, program or computer programming uh, program. You put a screen around that, right? I don't want a child who has no interest in that study to go to that program. That makes perfect sense. But now if I'm putting in a screen because, quote, I have a humanities program, so I'm only going to take the highest performing kids into my school, then it becomes something a little suspect. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so we really need to just rethink all of the screens that have been given in New York City. Interesting. And um, and does that also apply to gifted and talented programs in the in the elementary years? Yeah. Well, first of all, you shouldn't be giving any kindergarten child standardized test determining whether they're gifted and talented, because mm-hmm. most of those results will be based off of um, how much prep or home uh, work they had from home, which I'm grateful that parents and families can give that to children. But if we gifted and talented is supposed to be about identifying children who are accelerated learners. Uh, and we don't do that as a city. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but I do know this, that if you wait till second or third grade, the teachers could identify children who have accelerated learning abilities. And those mm-hmm. are the children that should go to gifted and talented. And we do have those children in every school in New York city. It's not, it's not just supposed to be about, Oh my, I want my child in gifted and talented because they're gifted and talented. No, what I want, children who actually learn an accelerated rate inside of a gifted and talented program. And that's the other piece that was missing in gifted and talented still is missing. We don't have accelerated curriculum. We have the same curriculum. It just does more of it. It doesn't accelerate it. So it kind of got twisted over the years and Mm -hmm. we are fully for redoing the entire gifted and talented program. And I know I get in trouble when I talk about it, but as an educator, gifted and talented is supposed to be for accelerated learners which we need to identify, which is going to take us a couple of years, so kindergarten through second grade, and then the curriculum has to be about truly accelerated learning. Uh, our our not, last, last, just not just a name for people to feel good about. Uh, okay, interesting. A little bit of a hybrid plan there than than the sort of do away or the keep it. Um, all right, we're in our last couple of minutes here with Michael Mogru, the president of the United Federation of Teachers. Last couple uh, quick questions here. I got a bunch of questions about to ask you about um, why Diane Morales wasn't included in your finalists for the endorsement, considering she was the one former former teacher uh, in the mayoral field. Yeah, the people who've been doing all the betting on this, they have to look at the things I said before. Policies, mm-hmm. clearly she's good on policy. Uh, viability, there's there's real issues there. Uh, we, we're pretty, you know, from all of the uh, folks that we use, all the experts, uh, we, we, don't th- we think it's going to be difficult for anyone to min- win this race unless they have a, at least $9 million in the bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just the reality. Um, you know, it's more, you know, uh, are Diane Morales' policies better than Andrew Yang's? At this point, we would have to absolutely say yes. But mm-hmm. you, you also have to be responsible to the fact that you have to then do a thorough vetting of the people who are the most viable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, the people in the political, the, our political activists actually really have done a lot of work on looking at viability of candidates. There's a, there's a whole discussion we could go down there about uh, what makes viability, including endorsements like yours. Maybe that could can help. With yeah, I've heard that equation. we have this but, big endorsement wand at the UFT that if we endorse, you win. I've heard that quite a bit. But we also uh, believe that a candidate, you know, uh, needs to get their own campaign in order. So 
Speaking of that, though, there's a little bit of talk um, in the other direction uh, in our last in our last two minutes here uh, that, you know, you haven't had a lot of success with with winning the mayoral race with your endorsed candidate. How do you plan to change that this year? We're, we're just going to keep trying. We're teachers. I mean, we've had a lot of political success. We pulled off major upsets over the years. But you're right. And this is one I just we're just going to continue to keep going at it and going at it. Uh, we don't you know. We, we, we work in New York City public schools. We have tough time. Everybody has a lot of bad days in a school year. And that's what we so fix it, it we go back. We move. We figure out a, just a different way to teach that lesson. And away we go. But is there is there a different strategy? Is there a different way you're thinking about this endorsement in terms of looking at the pieces that are on the table now in terms of where others have endorsed or any any other sort of piece of the, the equation here? We've that really about? dug into the can the campaign's individual strategies mm-hmm. in a much in a much more deep in a much deeper way. We've really dug into their um into the what is the strategy of the campaign where are they at who's doing their work who's their friends who's their enemies uh we've done a a a much bigger a bit bigger and deeper dive this time than we have before interesting and lastly um from my vantage point but correct me if i'm wrong it seems like of that final four really it's scott stringer and maya wiley are the ones who line up with you in terms of policy in terms of philosophy in terms of their platforms is it safe to say that your your choice is down to those two no i don't think that's safe to say you know eric adams has had some policy issues in the past we all know we brought them up at the forum even moscowitz stuff but you know uh he's also been a very big supporter of our community learning school project, of our positive learning collaborative project. He's been a very big supporter of that. Andrew Yang is just an unknown entity at this moment. Uh, But I think people are starting to understand um, uh, that you have to look at everything inside of a candidate. Clearly, some of the statements he's made about us is very troubling, but nobody can say he's not a viable candidate. Right. Which is why. And when do we expect this announcement? So. Okay. Soon. All right. We appreciate all the time, Michael Mulgrew. It's good to talk with you again and uh, and come back and join us again soon. All right. You be well. Okay. All right. Thank you. Bye bye.